Hi everyone, I'm Jasmine. And I'm Alea, and welcome to Whitman So White, a platform shared by POC voices and teller stories. To give some broader context for this episode, we will begin with some background information. The Wire recently published an article by Alistair Podman and Matt Chapin surrounding the limitations of mental health care in Walla Walla, especially pertaining to BIPOC and LGBTQIA folks. Check out this article from The Wire at the link in our bio. It's a great reference and starting point for this episode. We would also like to warn our listeners that this episode deals with some difficult and heavy content, and we urge you to keep that in mind before you proceed to listen. Um, we would also just give a general reminder to um, take care of yourself while listening to this episode and others. With this episode, we wanted to spotlight the experiences of individuals who struggle with accessibility to mental health care resources. And so today we're super happy to welcome Needy and talk about her experience as a BIPOC witty, an international student when it comes to receiving mental health care here at Whitman. Um, Needy is a senior computer science and math double major with a dance minor. She's in her fourth semester of being an RA and her two first two semesters were at Mecca, um, which is usually an interest house that mostly POC students apply to and live in. Needy, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, that was a great introduction. My name is Needy and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. So I guess to start off, um, we were just sort of wondering like how your experience has been um, in terms of trying to find mental health care at Whitman and how does your like initial impression of accessibility um, to care differ from what you have experienced elsewhere or like perhaps at home? Right. So I'm from India and let me just preface this answer by saying that I have a very low bar when it comes to receiving help for mental health or even having people understand what mental health issues are and kind of being supportive about that. So I struggled quite a bit with undiagnosed depression and ADHD all through school. I had to take a gap year before I came to Whitman because I didn't do well enough in the entrance exams Indian colleges require to take. And also because I always wanted to apply to the U.S. anyway, I just didn't fit in that education system at all. But um, so the gap year was super stressful. Financially, it was a very big risk. And also, I was still reapplying for all the other Indian entrance exams, and all of my triggers started to like accumulate, and it just became really bad in terms of my mental health. And my parents are fortunately super laid back and chill and supportive. And so, I was finally able to go see a counselor and then a psychiatrist who gave, uh, who prescribed me some medication. Um, but just the first time I took them, I got really, really sick and that freaked me out and that freaked my parents out. And then we were like, we can't do this right now. Like you are already in such a tough spot and we don't want you get, getting sick with this. And I wish there was more information available at the time. So we could have like thought about going to see a different doctor or like, um, just changing the dosage and stuff, but that just like scared us a lot. And I also was in a small town and there weren't really that many doctors to help with mental health, especially. Um, also, the reason why it was so stressful is because India's entrance exams are just really difficult and the number of colleges versus the number of people applying to colleges differs very much. And 
every like every hour we have like one student committing suicide so it's it's been pretty bad for the last few years and and then I was doing well after I got to Whitman when I came here like I was fine some of my things have like I have taken care of myself for the past um, for my first semester I was better but then some of the issues started resurfacing and I was like okay I think I need help and I know I'm scared with what happened the last time I took medications but I need to see the counseling center um and so I did that and I was assigned a really good counselor I at the time I thought he was really great um and then I also got a medication it kind of helped me feel better and then I wasn't like having like I wasn't sleeping all day or I wasn't having like terrible ideation so that was great and the counselor as a counselor was great but culturally it was not the right fit and then I didn't realize this until I met Dr. Ray um that's when I saw that having a white old man as a counselor was not really helping me that much um but with Ray she just had a lot of context for some of the things that I had to go out of my way to explain to my previous counselor and I think that just made a big difference that I was only talking about my issues instead of having to explain why I am the way I am there were things that she would help me see that are stemming from my life before Whitman that even I did not necessarily correlate to my current mental health so that was that made a big difference with um mental health treatment for me and especially for international students we are always very concerned about summer internships and finding jobs because all of us are constantly worried that as soon as we graduate we're going to get deported if we don't find a job in 90 days because that's like your time limit to do that and for some folks that is just not an option because of the risks of going back to their country like i'm from india i don't necessarily feel unsafe going back but that is not true for other people um and also just just the thing that you will get kicked out of the country and you don't have a choice in it is a big stressor for most international students um And so one time to my previous therapist this was before Ray um I was just kind of talking about how stressed I am about this whole thing and how I've been applying to so many jobs and I keep getting rejected um and he um I understand that he is old but his response kind of caught me off guard because it was something like have you like I know that you sometimes go to Seattle like have you ever tried to going to their office or like calling them to check in and I was like that that is not how it works anymore my dude like I understand where you're coming from but it's it's not how things are anymore. Um but with Dr. Ray I didn't really have to go through all this trouble of like hey Dr. Ray that is actually not how it works and this is how things are and like this is my cultural context. She kind of just knew a lot. And so I didn't even have to explain to her things like I'm worried about deportation or like my visa status makes it so hard for me to find a job. She kind of had a lot of experience with that anyway. So Yeah, I had a low bar. I got the help I needed, but then I realized how much difference it would make to have a mentor that relates to you or sees your experiences. Um, I can totally relate to what you're saying about having a therapist who just has like a fundamental understanding of where you're coming from. Um, cuz in my experience for therapy like it is exhausting to talk to a white person and be like that vulnerable with them and then potentially have them like not be aware of where you're coming from and then 
accidentally be dismissive, which is like the last thing that you need in a therapist. Right. And it just seems like you're helping them understand things instead of the other way around, which is the whole point of therapy. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm sort of wondering if you think that Dr. Ray being, I isn't she the only therapist of color? Yeah, she is. On campus? Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, on the one hand, like very happy that we have her as a resource and I'm sure she like does great work. But on the other hand, it's also like she can't be the only person dealing with like students of color's problems um, or just like helping them heal because that's also exhausting for her, I would assume. So. Yeah, absolutely. I feel really apologetic whenever I'm trying to get help from the, help from the counseling center, especially keeping in mind that there are so many, or actually not so many, but compared to the one person in counseling center who can give help, there's so many POCs who need help. So for me, it's always like, I don't even know my if my problems are big enough right now to email Ray or not. Like, I don't know if she deserves to deal with this crap on top of all these other things that keep going on. And then like, I don't know if I deserve help. That's That's been something that keeps happening to me. And I know that that's like, she is my therapist, so who else am I really going to go to? But then again, she is the only woman of color, plus she lives in Walla Walla. Like, she has probably a lot going on as well. So it's always, it's really sad that I feel this way when I need to ask for help. I think I see the same parallel happening at Whitman, which points to a bigger issue. Um, a parallel to like professors, for example, like I feel like a lot of professors that like professors of color have to like take on this role of mentorship and being a representative for some of our students simply because there's no one else here. I mean, we live in a white town. What the hell else are we supposed to do? Like how, are, how else are we supposed to survive without having somebody who understands um, and I think that points to an institutional issue that we'll probably talk about later of why are you having like one of each, you know, like on campus and then you call that, you call it a day after that. Um, um, I guess we're going to transition to like, what do you think Whitman can do um, to address like how inaccessible mental health care is? Um, what do you think is beyond Whitman's power to address? Um, and is there like a bigger like issue here beyond Whitman as an institution? Um, I think one of the biggest issues we have, and this is something that Whitman can control, is that we don't trust the administration. I don't know how many white people trust the administration, but BIPOCs usually are like, nope, we don't want to go to anyone about this. We don't want to talk about this to anyone who has control or power over us. Like, we can't do that. We don't trust them. Um, and I'm going to quote something who, uh, who I'm going to quote something an alum said when I was kind of asking her about her experiences. So this is a direct quote and um, I'm not going to name any names, but here it goes. Um, Whitman does not deal with mental health. They put labor or specifically and they don't care about us like at all. They just want to maintain their current state. They do enough to make it seem like they give a fuck but all they are about is maintaining it i've seen it over and over again that's why poc leaves staff and students at least the self-aware ones because they try and try to help but nothing fixes the issue whitman doesn't fucking care they lie the truth is that it doesn't have to be like this at all 
education and academia does not have to be a shithole. Our trauma has us forgetting that it can be better. And since leaving Whitman, I know that to be true. So for anyone still there, good lord, take care of yourself, of your people, your crew. Make the best of your time together and know that wherever you stand next in the world, you have the chance to choose it to be nothing like Whitman College. Get therapy, though. I only survived Whitman with therapy. So hop on that or something. Don't let them push your needs aside either. And she continued with, It's also worth distinguishing who you are talking Some folks, obviously, the counseling center really cares. But there are so many other people attached to Whitman, like admin and president and just other people dealing with Greek life and a lot of professors associated with the school, if not all, and the sorry-ass admission committee who don't give a fuck about what happens to you once you're there, etc. So that was what one um, of my close friends who graduated has told me. For another friend of mine, um, she had an anecdote about how her confidentiality was actually violated when she told the counseling center about something. And this was before Dr. Ray. Um, but she talked to the counseling center about something and it was supposed to be confidential and she trusted them, but it was violated because after that, an admin intervened um, about what she talked to them about. And then she was like not going to the counseling center again after that. She felt super uncomfortable. Um, another experience that POCs have had with the health center specifically includes one person I knew was a black woman and she um, had her hair, I mean, the, one of the nurses touched her hair without permission and was like talking about it like curiously. And that is just extremely dehumanizing. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, and the one time I had a really bad experience was uh, I have some self-harm scars and she, one of the nurses tried to talk to me about it without really asking if I want to. And then was like, Hey, I like, I, I have seen that these things happen a lot more frequently with kids these days. And like, it wasn't, it didn't used to be a thing when I was young and I didn't really know how to respond to that. Like, I understand where she's coming from. I understand that mental health did not used to be a conversation. No one really talked about self-harm and it's more common that we're opening up about it. But I do think that people and staff and administration, anyone who is hired needs to go through training to not say things like this, especially if you work in healthcare. Like you were definitely taught what to say and what to do before you got hired. But after you got hired, I think you should be taught what not to say to people of color and what is offensive and what is hurtful. I mean, RAs have to go through intense training for like microaggressions and diversity. And we're not even this, this work is above our pay grade. So honestly, I think that this should be a mandatory thing for anyone who gets hired, especially at a higher level. Um, and I also think that one thing that the school can do, especially because it's a rural town and we don't necessarily have ubers are really great transport and if you are having a bad experience with the counseling center or the health center i think that asking for help outside can one be inaccessible because you don't have the money or you don't really have the transportation like every time you're having an issue you're gonna have to text five five friends with a car and ask them hey can you take me here like i am having an issue and you might not even feel comfortable talking about it you know like there should be a way to get help to get you to the person you need to go. I mean, transportation-wise, there should be a way to get there without having to open up about it if it's personal.
Um, and things that are kind of other things women can do apart from the admin, just helping us feel like they have our back are, um, especially a couple years ago when the power and privilege shit went down, I saw people getting stressed sick because of that, physically ill. And I saw someone leave the school because of that. I saw people getting extremely frustrated. And I think that the school could have done so much more to just reach out. And we don't even, I know that there was a lot of there was kind of arguments going on with the admin and specific women of color, but I don't think that they, that should stop them from first considering the people's safety. Like the student, the student's mental health should be top priority, even if you don't like the student or even if something is going on with that. You know, like I think that it's your job to take care of us. And so you should do it properly, irrespective of what our opinions are or what we vocalize about or what we say. Um, and then. I think you mentioned about things that are like a general issue beyond Whitman's control. Um, I think that it's always been just living in this country as a minority is difficult, especially if you're darker skinned and it's always been a problem. Um, but especially with the pandemic, the suicide rates for black people have doubled and the suicide rates for white people actually went down by half, which is insane. Like it doesn't make any sense that just, speaks to how disproportionately things affect POCs. So, and then another thing with being a, PO, a people of color is asking for help. You you don't really know what you're asking for help with. Like, for example, if I have issues with motivation or getting work done, my therapist and I can come up with a plan to how to fix it. But with being a POC, there is just no end in sight. Like something terrible is happening every day. You feel unsafe every day. There is no goal to get to. There is no plan. There are no steps you can take to do anything about it. And even without any underlying mental health issues, you're overwhelmed every single day because that is the burden that came with your skin and your nationality. And for international students, it's being too foreign for here and too foreign for home. Like that is something Whitman can't really do anything about. Like I'm never going to be an American. I'm never going to be looked at as an American. So it's always going to add an extra layer of stress. Um, and as everyone knows, another issue is the cost of healthcare in the U.S. So you can't really, there. I mean, what is Whitman going to do? They can help students by paying for it. But as soon as you graduate, your health is taken away. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to see a counselor once I graduate. I have no idea what kind of work insurance I will be on. And even with that insurance, I have no idea if I can afford healthcare because it's still crazy expensive. Like I. I have never gone outside of Whitman when it comes to asking for help, even if I don't like it here. Like, it's just not an option. I just don't have the money for it. And I think we lastly have a cash 22 with hiring more BIPOC. Like, um, we were just talking about how it sucks that there is only one woman of color who has to help so many other people of color. But then again, we we are barely taking care of her, you know? So how are we going to hire more? Like, it's like knowingly putting these people you're asking to work here in a position where you know they will be doing extra work, where you know they will be bearing your burden. And then, but then again, you won't feel comfortable unless there are more people that look like you. But then again, how are you going to get more people that look like you to come here if you can't even treat the ones that already are here well, you know? So I think that is like, I don't know how to fix that, especially because of this town. I mean, 
if you went to a bigger school, like in Seattle or something, at least you have an escape outside of campus if you're having trouble in campus. But like, as a staff or a faculty member here, you will not be spending as much time on campus. You would want to access the town, but the town is conservative. And I've had really uncomfortable conversations with people here. I also had like a mini bar fight with someone for saying the N-word after they argued with my friend. And I like, I heard they, that they said the N-word and then I kind of just went ballistic. Um, but for me, it, it is like, didn't make much of a difference because the campus is home to me, you know, but you can't say that for staff and faculty. They're not going to live in a dorm or a rest life hall. Like they're going to have to live in town. They're going to have to get their food from people who might look at them like they're aliens and who might dehumanize them. And that just sucks. So hiring people as much as we need it, it puts them in a very difficult position. And then that I think cumulatively the fact that we live in this town, that there is no end in sight for these issues when it comes to race and color, and that as a BIPOC, the constant microaggressions will always be happening and we will always have to deal with them are some factors that are like sometimes beyond Whitman's control, but the admin should be 100% trying better and trying to make us more safe and comfortable. Um, I wanted to touch on your point about not tr not being able to trust Whitman as an institution. And I think that a pattern with with work done at Whitman is that it's it's always the students doing work. Particularly, it's always most of the time it's students of color, but even even without students of color, it's always students, you know, doing self-care events, doing like mental health club, whatever. We're creating the resources that we should have already been provided because we deserve them because we yeah. pay to go to this school. Absolutely. And that's and like absurd. <laughs> I know. And I think the bare minimum they can do is at least treat us as well as they do their white students. Like, fine, you don't want to go above and beyond? Okay, just do the bare minimum. Just, like, don't don't have the counseling center or the, or the health center or other staff treating us differently because of what we look like. Like, that's, that's just even worse. And I think that, I, like I was saying, like, it would be so difficult to hire people right now. But, the, but then again, with the rise in crimes against Asians, because this country is stupid and they don't understand how science works, like, with the hate crime rise, like, what kind of Asian person would want to work here right now as a counselor, nonetheless? Like, who, who, why? Why would you do that? Go to the middle of fucking nowhere. You're not even going to be happy there. You're not even paid that much. And then you're there to deal with your own issues put yourself in an unsafe position, and then take care of students. Like, that's just, why? Why would anyone do that to themselves? And why would we ask someone to do that for them to themselves for our sake? That's awful, too. Yeah, my, so one of my friends who goes here had a friend recently tour, and the friend that was touring um, is Asian American, and my friend who was just talking to them about women is white, and, um, the prospective student was asking, like, I'm just wondering what your feelings are about um, being by POC on campus. Um, and, you know, my friend referenced her to me because I am Asian American and I can speak to that. And I was like, oh, boy, do I have things to say <laughs> about going to Whitman and just being in Walla Walla. Um, she hasn't reached out yet, but I... 
I'm going to be honest with her because it's exhausting. Um, and this is why I'm not a tour guide, but I did also want to touch on what you and Jasmine were saying about this like fucking individualization of responsibility that students have to take care of themselves when the administration and the institution should be setting us up for success to do that. Like, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently too, with just other forms of self-care outside of like academia. And it's like, why is there such an emphasis on quote unquote self-care when we live in a society and a culture that makes us like work until we're literally depressed and anxious all the time. And I think that touches on what you were saying, Needy, about like things beyond Whitman, things beyond any sort of like tangible person or thing that can change this culture. And so I just, I guess those are my thoughts. Yeah, one of my professors, um, Peter DeGrasse, once said that it is just awful that we put our self-worth into how much work we're doing. Like, that just, it's so awful, and it sucks that we live in a world like this. And even with, like, self-care, people are like, oh, you should take walks, but I don't feel safe going on walks in this town because I see, like, 10 Trump flags in a row, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm dying tonight, so I just, like, run back to campus because how am I going to take care of myself when I don't even feel okay like let alone taking care of myself I can't even, like I don't feel safe I don't feel safe outside I got into a bar fight and now I'm like kind of always anxious about uh is someone gonna shoot me tonight I don't know is that man coming for me oh fuck and so it's like how the fuck am I going to take care of myself with all of that going on I'm privileged in that I have a lighter skin tone, but that would be, I would feel even more unsafe if I were darker skinned. It's just, ugh, it just sucks. Are you guys feeling okay? I'm a bit player. Are you okay? I have honestly very much been reflecting on the recent uprising in anti-Asian hate crimes and I think like honestly it has taken a toll I have been sleeping like eight to ten hours a night which is super good for me but also um like I I don't know how else to like take care of myself, you know, like there's nothing that I can do to prevent these things. Like they're, I guess I'm just like staying on campus, not going anywhere. I only go places with white friends. Like I only go places when we have a car. Um, and so like that has been incredibly exhausting. And I, I think like, it's starting to be better. Um, how are you doing, Jasmine? I think I already talked with I think I already talked with Alea about it, but like, mm-hmm. like in previous episodes be- before this like anti Asian hate crime rise, Alea and I were talking about like this, like we're like okay, like COVID's here, like 
this is going to happen. Like it's been happening. People have been calling out for help, have been saying like this, this, this is a problem. And now all of a sudden people have to be killed for you to care, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, even like, even with the protesters on the street last year, like what the fuck took you so long to open your eyes? Like this has been happening for decades, if not centuries. Like where were you? Like what the fuck were you doing? And then it like also it stopped like it now it's back to just Instagram posts like no one gives a shit anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, I'm gonna say this and people are definitely gonna come for me, but I so today we were talking about whiteness in my class. I'm not gonna say what class. Um, <laughs> we were talking about whiteness in a class, and it was after reading an article about like citizen race and how race is tied to citizenship and basically the rhetorical strategy that like the US has used to form whiteness is through domination control and like owning other people and th- because of that like in order to achieve racial equality which at this point I'm super pessimistic about and I don't think that that's going to be a thing especially because it's like a global phenomenon that racism exists and that there's like a white non-white binary slash hierarchy but anyway um like whiteness is inherently tied to violence so how the fuck are we supposed to achieve racial equality when the people in power continually commit violence against people of color and don't care about changing that. Like, and obviously these, like violence exists on a spectrum, right? But mm-hmm. it's only gonna stop when white people accept the history that they've committed and the crimes that they've committed and like open their fucking eyes. Yeah. It's also just so frustrating that we are having these conversations with people who go to Whitman who already kind of like at least give a little bit of a shit and then the rest of the country is still a shithole. Like no one's talking to them. No one's correcting them. They're just, they're just still just being complete assholes about it and just not giving a shit and just feel comfortable with the idea of killing someone. Like, no one at Whitman is hopefully going to turn out to be a murderer, but the ones who aren't, like, who the fuck's going to change their mind? And, like, no one's really making an effort. No one's taking away fucking guns. Take the guns fucking away. Like, you just, just take it away. That's, ugh. And then people are like, oh, it's not about the gun control. It's about video games. Yeah, sure. Sure, bitch. I played video games all my life. Do you see me killing someone? I don't think so. So fuck off. And then they're like, take care of yourselves. <laughs> uh, and the fact that that one guy, I don't even know his name, but the person who... um shot the six women in the bad day guy yeah bad day guy 
since we're talking about mental health, when I, oh my God, I can't. And everyone knows this, like a bad day is not an excuse for literally anything. Like, and the fact that then it's ironic because then the emphasis is on mental health. Where mental health should be the last resource when you're thinking about like murdering people. Yep. I think it's even more compelling to think about the fact that he, he this man didn't say he had a bad day. The officer said the he officer had a bad day. The officer defended him. Yeah. yeah. He also, came up with the excuse. <laughs> after that, a bunch of white people got butt hurt and were like, oh, you all jumped to conclusions about his race, but he's like Muslim. And I'm like, I, I don't understand. Like, are you stupid or are you just an asshole? Like, where are you coming from, bro? Like, it's just. Ugh. And I'm the snowflake. <laughs> So in order to tie this back to the discourse surrounding mental health support at Whitman and sort of how students can feel supported, including the fact that there's always more work to do, especially at an institution like Whitman, what can we do here to destigmatize mental health and the need for care? Yeah, so I, as I said before, I'm coming from a place where these issues are extremely taboo. Like the, every time I, I tell a friend back home to go see a therapist, they're like, my parents don't believe in therapy or like they won't let me spend money on that. And so comparatively, in my eyes, Whitman students and professors are very open about these things. Like Whitman was the first time I could go to a professor and tell them I'm depressed or I am I can't focus or I just don't feel well or something has really ruined my day, especially when I was grieving Kyle. Like these are not the kind of things I would have felt comfortable talking to a professor about in India. And so I definitely think that there are definitely parts of this community that are doing an excellent job of being supportive. But I also think that we need to be really pushy about educating people about mental health issues because if you, especially for international students, if you grew up all your life being told these problems on your are in your these problems are in your head, you're not actually depressed. Others have it worse. Then you're not just gonna come to a different country one day and change your entire mindset because it's a different place. Like Whitman overall does a good job of at least addressing that these issues warrant help and that they are nothing to be ashamed of, but we need to do more to hold BIPOCs and international students especially. Do you think stigmatization of mental health issues is a barrier to the accessibility of care? Um, absolutely. I do think that in general, the U.S. healthcare system is a complete shit show, and no one can really afford it except if you're like, I don't know, Jeff Bezos or his 10 generations or whatever. Um, but then again, healthcare back home was free, but it's so deeply stigmatized that no one wants to see a doctor. I mean, for mental health issues, you're either crazy or you've lost your mind if you do that. Like it's literally, it is for the crazies. It's not for the depressed. It's like, it's therapies for crazy people is what the general opinion is. And I think that this is especially going to be always true for men because they grow up being told all the 
bullshit about you shouldn't cry, you're not weak, you shouldn't ask for help, blah, blah, blah. And so, and um, this was something Dr. Ray told me one time. She was talking about how men express their emotions in terms of anger. And I think that's always going to be a big concern because then people keep having bad days and then we die. So I definitely think that it is a barrier because one, people don't want to get help. And two, you just no one has the money to get help. Two, no one has the money to get help. So it's I think they're very connected and I think we need to work on both. I'm glad to hear that like our resources here are more like it's more acceptable to express mental health concerns but I'm also just like okay but then shouldn't we shouldn't we just like do better like why would you establish something and like not do the best that you can do at it as an institution which is also a business so like why wouldn't you in invest in something which would provide your business with the means to be better. From my standpoint, that's also a very strategic way of building like a stronger community that then you can market to other people. So I'm not really sure what Whitman is doing on either the business side or the school side. <laughs> to be honest um and i definitely agree needy that we do need to work on basically every aspect of our mental health like uh healthcare system both in the u.s and at whitman so i just i want to express gratitude to you for coming on our show today and speaking with us because i think um, you have a lot of great thoughts about it. I mean, mostly I just like came here and ranted. There wasn't a lot of like, there wasn't a lot of new information. I just came here to bitch and I feel good bitching. And yeah. Well, we appreciate it. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. I'm really I guess that is all that we have for you today. Um, we do really want to thank Nadi for joining us and letting us honor her experience that she's had at Whitman. Um, and as always, we hope that this episode left you with a lot to think about, and we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Whitman So White. Lastly, none of the time and energy we spend on Whitman So White is being financially supported, so if you can or would like to pay Needy for her time and voice, see our Instagram post for her payment options, go follow us on Instagram at Whitman So White. Pay up and open your purse.